Hello, and welcome to another episode of Star Spangled Eurovision. I am Max. I'm here with my very special guest, Katie Shea. Hello. Thanks for being here, Katie. More than welcome to, especially because you have apple cider. I know. It's fall. We're having fall things, eating scones, drinking apple cider. Being basic, but like classy basic. In a good way. I like it. Anyway, we have a wonderful episode lined up for you today. I'm really excited about it. We're going to be discussing the Eurovision brand, going deep into the logo and what it means, what it represents, and just how Eurovision presents itself. But first, our weekly segment, the news, Eurovision news. Um, Selections for the various competitors in national finals is all up and running. A bunch of countries are starting to take submissions for uh, songs for Eurovision 2019. Some countries are a little ahead in the process already. They're already, like, you know, narrowing it down. So that's all really exciting. Hopefully within the next few months, we'll start seeing which, uh, which songs are, you know, in play for some countries. And I'm really excited because new Eurovision music is always exciting. I know you're excited for that, too. I'm super excited. Normally Max sends me the good songs to listen to. And by good songs, I mean songs that he thinks that I'll like. And I'm usually right. He is. Okay. He is. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> Um, some bad news, though. Bulgaria, one of my favorite Eurovision countries, has officially withdrawn from the 2019 contest. I feel like this is where you should have some, like, crying sounds or something. Sad. Yeah. I don't really don't usually do special effects in here, but, like, yeah. audio effects, but, you know, maybe we should. Yeah, like, I feel like you need some... What's a sad audio sound, though? I don't know. Just, like, a baby crying? No, that no, sounds, like, annoying. a little annoying, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, Bulgaria is out... I'm very sad because Bulgaria's been doing so well the last couple of years. Like, what, in 2016, they came in fourth. In 2017, they came in second. Last year, 14th, not as good, but a pretty decent result. And they had an amazing song with Equinox, who are apparently going on to a whole, you know, their own musical career, which is great. But that means Bulgaria won't be producing any more international superstars, at least not this year. I'm really sad about it. Didn't you like the Bulgaria songs the last couple of years? I think you had an opinion. I think more 2017, I preferred them. Fair enough. This year was okay. I really liked it. I thought yeah. it was like cool and dark. It wasn't really a Eurovision song, but it was like a... But you always like the cool and dark ones. I like like Dance It Off and True. any of the hot Swedish ones. <laughs> Very fair. Anyway, well, other than Bulgaria, 39 countries have officially confirmed for the contest. However, there are three that are usual participants that have not yet confirmed. Including my favorite. Which is who? Moldova. They're always so funny. I just... They have such a great stage presence every time. I know. Like, Moldova is just, like... They're just so good. Like, they don't, they might not even do well sometimes, but they're just always fun to watch. Oftentimes, the songs don't make any sort of grammatical correct... Oh, that's not even a sentence. I can't even say the correct sentence when I'm trying to say it. But the grammar in the songs doesn't really exist. But it's fine, because they're so fun, and they're cute, and just, I don't know. I'm going to miss Moldova if they don't, but, you know, fingers crossed they'll be in this year. As will, we hope, San Marino and Russia, even though they haven't confirmed yet. But we'll see. San Marino's always, always a treat as well. One of my favorite Eurovision countries. Mm. They're just, they're usually pretty ridiculous, and I'm into it. Anyway, and finally, the last big piece of news, and that drops just today, right before we recorded. The official slogan for 2019 has finally been revealed, and it is dum -da -da -dum, Dare to Dream. I don't know what that means, but 
Jan Olesan is the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest, uh, has been quoted saying, this aspirational tagline represents and symbolizes everything that the Eurovision Song Contest is about. It's about inclusion, it's about diversity, it's about unity. Benjamin Netanyahu, Israeli prime minister, also weighed in saying, uh, Neta dared to dream about Eurovision this year. I dare to dream so that Eurovision will be held in Israel in 2020 as well. I'm sure all the songs will be great, but we can dream. Oh my god. <laughs> thoughts? It's too many thoughts. One, I mean, like, how many execs do you think it took to come up with that slogan, Dare to Dream? Like, how many creative people were locked in a room saying, like, okay, come up with a slogan and, like, just threw things at the wall until something stuck? Because, like, yeah, you have the alliteration of, like, dare and dream, but, uh, but like, dream doesn't remind me of Israel. Yeah. Like, it, it, like, all aboard made sense for Portugal because it's, like, a seafaring country and its history, like, and I think we're going to get into that more, like, the themes for each year and the slogans, but, like, dare to dream, like, that would make more sense to me if this was hosted in America this year. <laughs> One day. Who knows? One can hope. <laughs> One can only hope. Uh, my favorite thing about this Netanyahu statement is that the last time Israel won and hosted, they also, they won again. This was in 1978, hosted it in 1979, won again in 1979, then couldn't afford to host it again, so they gave it up to The Hague and didn't even participate that year because of some, some scheduling stuff, but not so, always the best track record. Yeah, so like they had the option before and they didn't do it, and it kind of makes sense though. When you think about it, this is a huge production cost. It's like the Olympics, right? They could barely afford to do it this year. They had so many yeah. troubles already. I mean, people think that like these big contests when you hold them like the Euro Cup, the World Cup, the Olympics, that these countries are making a ton of money. But in fact, these are huge drains on the economy, oftentimes because you have to put on so much, so many especially laws out there to be able to have them. Like I know in Brazil, when they had the Olympics, they had to like change the laws to allow alcohol within the stadiums because before that alcohol wasn't allowed in it. And one of the major sponsors of the Olympics is some beer company. Now I'm forgetting on the beer company, but I think it's like Bud Light or something, yeah. Budweiser. So, I mean, to say that you want to host Eurovision again, like it's actually not economically a great move. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we hope that Eurovision does bring some economic benefits, like a big upfront cost, and then, like, with all the tourism and all that, yeah. So, I think that the economic benefits come in the years following, right? Because mm -hmm. you, you can see it where these big stadiums that they build or use then get used for other things in the years to come, and they also become places where people and tourists come to visit. And like you're saying, tourists do come in to town, but as well, like, you know, when you watched let's say for this is last year, our vision with Portugal, right? You saw how beautiful Portugal was because they showed all those beginning clips. Mm -hmm. And I forget what they're called where they like introduce oh, the yeah, person. Yeah. It's oh, like, like yeah. it's oh, like yeah. a little 10 second clip where they're like walking along the coast of mm -hmm. Portugal before they sing. And like, you got to see how pretty the Port Portugal was. And I think that that inspires people to come be tourists there the following year. Yeah. Right. And we're going to talk about that. Cause we, that's definitely a theme some years uh, for some of the countries in uh, how they present themselves. but Yeah, so I think it definitely does reap rewards, right? But the rewards aren't instantaneous, and you don't recoup them right after the uh, conclusion of the contest. <laughs> yeah. So Okay, so be, keep dreaming. Hopefully your dreams come true. Maybe not. Mm. Maybe not. Maybe hopefully for Israel they don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe Australia will win, and then they'll get to co-host it. 
with Israel and Australia. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Because I think that's in the rules that like if Australia wins, they're like super scared about having to host it in Australia for the cost. So, yeah, like, someone they else would... would have to host it or something. I yeah. don't remember what the official thing is, but I think they can't actually have Eurovision in Australia. That would be too much. And also the time would be off and like like the time zone thing. Whatever. It'd be a lot. Anyway, that does segue into our main topic, which is Eurovision branding. And like the Eurovision brand. The visual identity, one could say. The visual identity of Eurovision. And so Katie is a visual design expert, and which is why I brought her on the pod today. And so I know you wanted to talk about the Eurovision logo. I mean, I find logos fascinating, but I also like lecture on typography at Georgetown. So like, this is my jam. I really, I, I want to hear what you think. It's like, I don't, I mean, I don't know what to make of it. Like, So people like, there's this great quiz you can take online. It's like, you look up like ABC alphabet of marketing, where they will show you a letter and it's from a brand, right? And so you'll see like a C and it's clearly the Coca-Cola C, and everyone instantaneously recognizes it, right? Mm-hmm. If you see that W from Walt Disney World, you know that that's the Walt Disney World W. You know, if you see the G for Gatorade, you know it's Gatorade. And so when you're holding a huge competition like this, you also want to have that visual identity because if you think about it, so much about Eurovision changes every year. You're changing locations and countries. You have new contestants, right? So much of it is fluid, and so you've really got to work on somehow keeping all the years together instead of one consistent brand but brand is almost too small of a word to describe what it is which is why i like identity <laughs> right like what is the identity of eurovision and so you see that in 2004 they introduced this like main logo and it's kind of cool it actually has a bit of a disney feel to it mm-hmm. and they have the heart in the middle which i think is really cool because what it allows you to do is one be like nice because it's a heart um <laughs> But two allows you to insert in the heart the country flags for whoever might be hosting it. Yeah. And that is huge when it comes to identity, right? Um, flags are one of the best representations of a country. In fact, when royals tend to visit other countries on official visits, when they first come off the plane, they will typically wear the colors of that country's flag. And so, like, that's how much, like flags appeal to people right like it's all about that visual representation and so in 2004 they came up with this design that allowed them to use the flags and it was super cool and then in 2014 they actually redesigned it a little bit and they softened it you could say Mm -hmm. and i know i sent you an article that showed like the two logos side by side yeah what did you think of them um i thought it was interesting yeah because the first one was a little bit rougher on the edges and Mm -hmm. i was interested in in why that was because so when i when i look at the current Eurovision logo, right? You know, it's very, it's very sort of curvy. You know, there's no hard corners necessarily. It's playful. It's playful. I don't necessarily want to use the word feminine to describe it, but something that's it's softer, right? It's you know, I feel like it's almost. Um, it has movement. It has movement, and it's sort of representing kind of like the inclusiveness of Eurovision in a way. Just like it, it's inviting, right? Mm-hmm. It's saying like come on in it's not you know austere or scary or imposing in any way it's very much sort of like a, a welcoming kind of design which i love and the heart thing is is awesome too because like you can look at you know regardless of the year right like you can easily identify what year it was based on just like what the flag was right and like you can have merch from every year and you kind of know which years i mean i guess if there's a repeat country but like 
you know, you have an idea, which is cool. And you don't need to like change the design all that much. But yeah, that's, that's sort of the first thing I think of it. So it was interesting. And I, maybe that's why they kind of soften the edges, right? From that kind of rough. Yeah. I mean, like the, if you haven't seen the images, you can Google it real fast. And to we'll, see. we'll put a link in the show notes as well. Yeah. For 2004 versus 2014. Um, you do see some softening of some, you see it also a little bit more standardized perhaps is the way to look at it. Like the letters are standardized more. You don't see these rough edges between the I's and the E's. And the R is a little bit different. And the heart is a lot smoother, like you said. Mm-hmm. And that can do with a lot of things. One, you tend to see that more in design these days. We're going a bit smoother with the designs. It's not as streaky. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that has to do with the fact that most designs these days are seen on the internet and seen on social media and other things. And you've got to be careful of pixels and how much pixel space you have. Mm-hmm. And so smoothing it allows it to be easier to make it smaller, to use up less p- pixel space than to have it super rough. Okay, right? that makes a lot of sense. So they're just kind of bringing it into... The 21st century. The 21st century, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I was also looking at some of the older designs, right? And all, I mean, obviously every year is completely different, but, you know, yeah. obviously some of them look very dated because they're old, but, um, you know, the very first one is this, like, curly Q, like it feels like it's from like a 50s sitcom title mm-hmm. title frame kind of thing you know there's some weird musical modern notes musical what? notes yeah like some very like kitschy ones some like almost like modern it like postmodern designs like they really went with it you know the ones from like the early 2000s are very like very early 2000s <laughs> Hey, I love early 2000s. Yeah, but it was just a like great time. early internet like blocky letters and like yeah. I mean just like interesting stuff um but i think this one is very like like you said it's reminiscent of the disney logo almost it's almost it's it's almost timeless in a way right it's it is and like the thing is when they the the people who did the redesign they described it as an evolution not a revolution of the logo right so they took the 2014 one and they just or excuse me, they took the 2004 one and they just evolved it into the 21st century and i think that's very important and so I want to move on to the themes. And so back to, you know, Israel's theme this year. Um, dare to dream. Dare to dream. Um, so for those of, uh, for, you know, background, the first sort of yearly theme was introduced in 2002 uh, when the contest took place in Estonia. And the theme was a modern fairy tale, which is interesting because like, you know, it's, a 20, it's the early days of the 21st century. They're trying to bring sort of bring it into the modern day, but still keep that kitschy side to it, right? That's what kind of that gives me. And at the same time, that's it's you know Estonia, you know, on the cusp of verge of joining the EU, wanting to show that it's kind of like part of the West. Right. That's that's the way I see it. And if you also no, and I think you're right. And you also think of like the Estonia, right, Mm -hmm. and like their economy, like they invented Skype. Yeah. People don't realize that. Like they're considered the most connected. Oh, what is the term? Like the most connected country out there, or they were at one point, because of how prevalent internet use is there. And so even by 2002, right, like you're having that kind of tech boom in Estonia. And so it makes sense that like they're saying like, well, we're the modern fairy tale, right? We're a modern country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the, it looks like just from looking at the list that a lot of these countries have been using the theme to sort of express the politics of the day in a way. Or, like, their aspirations, right? Like, we have Turkey in 2004, where um, the theme was under the same sky. And, you know, at that time, Turkey was very much interested interested in joining the EU and being part of Europe, right? Uh, not like today, but... 
Um, so that seems to reflect that in a way. Uh, Ukraine in 2005, after they won, their theme was awakening. And that was also shortly after the Orange Revolution. Another moment where, you know, they're, the country itself is going through an awakening, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe moving towards Europe as a whole. Azerbaijan uh, in 2012 also kind of uh, strikes me. The theme was light your fire. Which, by the way, they did an amazing job with the visual identity of that. Because, like, there was so much pyrotechnics going on. (laughs) They did, yeah. And they they put a lot of money into that Eurovision because they wanted to present themselves as this modern, beautiful country. Kind of the way Estonia did. Exactly. And so, and this was also, like, like, honestly, how many... Europeans regularly think about Azerbaijan, right? How many anyone's? Exactly. No offense, Azerbaijan. We love you. Uh, but I always like their songs. Yeah, their songs are pretty. Max always sends them to me. <laughs> um, but you know, this is kind of their their first chance to really exp- like show themselves on the European stage and the world stage, right? And to like show people what they're all about, and they really did that through their. Oh my god, I'm still lagging. What they're called? Postcards. They're postcards. The little intros to mm-hmm. every song. Is that what they're called? But they're called postcards. Hence the kind of like, hey, we're... It's <laughs> modern Tourism advertising. Um, tourism campaign kind of stuff. But yeah, so the postcards are all very much about how like beautiful Azerbaijan is. And like, you know, it's the land of fire. That's um, getting your tourism for later years, right? Like that's where you're recouping your money. Exactly. And so they're kind of using this to present themselves um, and show people what they're about. You know, that may have backfired, given some of their, you know, human rights uh, abuses. <laughs> but, and uh, Look, that was no very way. evident in people's reactions to it, but they tried. Yeah, there's not much you can say about that one. I don't know. It's the same way that you look at, like, the World Cup. Like, Yeah, exactly. Like, you can only say so much about it, unfortunately. Right. Um, Portugal, this past year, like, their theme was all aboard, and that, I know you want to talk about that a little bit. I liked their theme this year i thought they did a great job of connecting like the history of portugal through the visual identity of eurovision this year right like they had a bunch of nods to their seafaring past they did such a good job like i read somewhere like the shape of the stage and you may or may not like it because it didn't have led screens on it (laughs) um but it was in the shape of like a wave you know you notice a lot of their stuff had that kind of old seafaring aspect to it and i thought that was really cool because for many centuries portugal was known as a huge shipping country and exploration i guess exploration is a better idea maritime Um, maritime that's the word i've been searching for for forever (laughs) maritime country yeah and like yeah the stage is beautiful like the set was gorgeous even if there weren't LED screens yeah but like the um, the background was like uh, this wooden, I guess it was a wood structure, but like, you know, supposedly reminiscent of like the ribs of a ship, but also in the shape of like a big wave. And it was, I, know, I thought it was stunning the way they, um, the way they built the set. Mm-hmm. And it's still, I think it still managed to, you know, give performers the space to really improvise with their performances, even yeah. without the big showy LED screens. Some of them brought their own, <clears throat> Malta. Um, but, you know, 
I thought it was, um, and I mean, that was part of the identity Portugal was going for, right? Like Salvador Sobral, who won in 2017, won with this really low-key song. He's famous for saying, music is feeling, not fireworks, right afterwards. And that could be a reason why they didn't do this yeah. huge stage production in that way, right? Like, they wanted the singers to stand out on their own and not rely on all these tricks, not rely on screens and pyrotechnics to wow and dazzle the crowd. Right. Yeah, whether we agree with that or not is, you know, up to the listener. I really liked The Doors with Moldova this year. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really innovative and not something they could have done with an LED screen, right? No. So um, it really forced people to... Be creative. Be creative. Um, Which is the point of Eurovision to some degree. Yeah. And then this year we have Dare to Dream. I, like... I'm trying to think, like, how you conceptualize that. And all I can keep thinking of is, like, clouds. Like, yeah. like you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, I imagine a lot of blues, which is what you see in Eurovision normally. But so, you know, I wonder how that's going to be reflected on the stage and what, what that really means. Because I feel like the, um, the theme, like, you know, every year has its own themes. But sort of if you look back at them, a lot of them are centered around unity around diversity, mm-hmm. um, around sort of coming... Literally, I'm pretty sure one of them has come together. It's right? Join Us is one of the ones... Well, there's even... hashtag Join Us from 2014. Sweden's in 2016 was Come Together. Uh, Austria in 2015 was Building Bridges. Sweden... 2017 with Ukraine was yeah. Celebrate Diversity. I mean... Great. Yeah, and their logo for that year... Oh, it was really, beautiful. ...really embodied that, right? I love. did a little research on that. Yeah, I loved the Ukrainian logo. So that one was a traditional Ukrainian necklace that, that then was kind of abstracted out to these beads that had various geometric symbols on them. And those symbols tend to be reminiscent of straight lines or stars or circles on these beads. And the cool thing about that is it also reflects then kind of the flags of Europe mm-hmm. and other countries that participate in Eurovision. And so it's really cool as a way to show like all these countries coming together on this one necklace, you know, celebrating diversity, but also coming together, joining us, yeah. you know, all the other ones uh, we share the one, moment. 2013 Sweden. Share the moment. 2010. Confluence of Sound, Serbia, two thousand eight. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of yeah, coming together and like all aboard, c- like celebrating under the same sky. Yeah, and like we're all in this together. And what do you, what do you think that says about what Eurovision sort of aspires to be? I think that's a really cool aspect of it, right? Because so many times when you see these reality competitions, it's tearing people down. Mm-hmm. right it's this person is better than this person thus you're being eliminated contestant b and so instead eurovision is trying to say like oh look we're all great and this one person happens to win this year but it doesn't mean that we don't value and appreciate the other contestants and i think that's really interesting yeah i think they uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before too where eurovision sort of presents this ideal image of Europe as, you know, like an inclusive, diverse space, Mm -hmm. almost like, you know, like a community and, you know, whether it's real or aspirational, you know, Eurovision kind of is this sort of beacon of hope and inclusiveness, um, that I think we can all sort of aspire to, right? Yeah. Um, dare to dream to perhaps to dream of a unified, happy, tolerant and diverse Europe, maybe. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Hopefully that's what uh, people come with. <laughs> and on that note, thank you so much for being here, Katie. This was an amazing conversation. I learned a lot. 
thank you so much for having me. I had a fun time. Awesome. Love so. to talk about design and stage presence. There's, I would, if you're interested in this, Google it. There's a lot more out there. Um, Israel just posted their rules for finding their stage oh, like production really? company and like they're fascinating to read. Um, the stage could be circular or square or rectangle. They're not certain yet. So anything goes at this point. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for listening, as usual. Um, you can follow us on various social media, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Spangled Eurovision, on Instagram at Star Spangled Eurovision, on Twitter at SSE underscore pod. Send us an email. We could always use more topics uh, before Eurovision season starts up again. Star Spangled Eurovision at gmail.com. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Tschüssi. <laughs>